On the back of the global COVID-19 pandemic, the subject of indoor air quality and how to control it has come into sharp focus in the last two years. The truth is, this is a complex subject, and one that leaves us needing to call on the experts to make sense of the air filtration and air cleaning technology that exists out there in the world. With thousands of organisations now choosing to buy air filtration technology, the obvious debate in a competitive market is, how well does this technology work? And exactly what due diligence should I carry out before choosing a brand and type of machine? For this Air Purification Trade Association podcast, we are privileged to have a guest, and he's someone who could be fairly described as an air filtration expert. Working for a company called SGS, who you'll hear more about during the podcast, Dr. Simon Harkis spends his time using a laboratory in Milton Keynes to conduct air filtration testing. I opened my interview with Dr. Harkis by asking him to give us a little of his backstory and the type of work that he undertakes for SGS. Yeah, sure, David. No problem at all. And uh, thanks for having me. So my um, academic background is actually in polymer chemistry. And I have a PhD in that from uh, Durham University, which I got and I'll tell you how many moons ago, but I've worked in the uh, filtration industry ever since then. So I spent around about 15 years in industrial filtration product development, you know, working in operations and technical management. And then in the summer of 2020, I joined SGS and I now manage the air filtration lab here in Milton Keynes. And more recently, I also took on the role of leading the global SGS technical filtration committee, where essentially we work, we work together towards ensuring that all of the uh, global filtration labs at SGS have technical excellence and harmonization between the labs. So we're all doing the same thing and doing it correctly. Yeah, it's a fascinating subject, Simon. And as you know, the subject of air filtration, air cleaning, as a consequence of the COVID-19 pandemic has been a hot subject for the last two years. But there's a lot more to air filtration than just helping with COVID-19, as I'm sure will become apparent as this podcast unfolds. Absolutely. Well, SGS, huge organisation. It would be remiss of us not to talk a little bit more about what the company does what is your footprint around the world and what type of work and what type of services and products do you offer to the world? That's a, a big question, but let me try and answer it as concisely as I can. So a bit of a tagline here. So SGS is the is the, it's the world's leading inspection, verification, testing and certification company. It's difficult to summarize everything we do at SGS because we've got more than 93,000 employees and over 2,600 offices and labs around the world. But let me give you an, an overview of the core services we do. So you can basically split it into four categories. You know, there's an inspection. So, for example, checking condition and weight of traded goods at, at, at transshipment where we help clients meet relevant regulatory requirements across different regions and markets globally. And there's uh, the testing side where we, you know, enable clients to reduce risks and shorten the time to market by testing quality, safety and performance of products against relevant health, safety and regulatory standards. And obviously we do all of that independently, which is kind of our main USP. And then we have the certification, which involves helping clients independently demonstrate the product processes, systems or services are compliant with either national or international standards or even customer-defined standards. You know, you may, the customer may have a, a specific standard that they want certifying against. And finally, there's verification. You know, we ensure that products and services comply with global standards and local regulations. 
And one big advantage that SGS has across all of these really is, is the ability to combine global coverage with all the labs we've got with local knowledge. And that, that's a really strong combination that we're able to offer due to the size of the business. Well, it's a great pleasure, actually, Simon, and a privilege to be given an audience with someone dealing with a very important subject from such a, a big company, 93,000 employees, 2,600 officers. <laughs> that is a major, major organization. And we're privileged to have your expertise on the APTA podcast today. So let's bring the conversation now, if I may, Simon, round to the subject of air filtration. We all know, depending upon what industry you're in, it's been heavily looked at. We know the UK government have actually scrutinized it. Governments around the world have, you know, in Australia, Canada, and Germany in particular, their governments appear to be very pro air filtration. So when we get onto the subject of what I call efficacy, in other words, does air filtration work is what's residing behind this question. What is the SGS testing schedule for air filtration units here in the UK? Walk us through the range of tests that you do, which is ultimately all designed to tell us whether the machines do what they claim to do. Absolutely. So uh, let me specifically tell you about the, the UK lab here, the one I manage. So we test all kinds of filtration systems, as you can imagine, from domestic air purifiers, which I'm sure we'll get to in more detail later on, through to uh, industrial compressed air filters, which is, you know, essentially my, my industrial background is there and everything in between. So things like HEPA filters, even the, the filtration media itself, we can test that separately from, from a filtration system. And all of these things, we not only test them for filtration efficiency, so, you know, how good, how good is this filter at removing contaminants, but one thing that's very that's really key as well is uh, to measure the air resistance or the gas resistance through the filter element, and you know globally extending that to liquid resistance as well, because we we don't only test uh, air and gases, though we do in the UK. If you can imagine, it's it's not much use having a filter that stops all of the contaminants that you want going through it if it also stops all of the air or all of the gas or all of the liquid. You know, anyone can put a brick wall in the way of something and stop anything getting through. So the really, you know, the industry is the key to the industry and successful products is getting the balance between those two variables. And we can test for both of those things. We have a lot of expertise in, in you know, advising, advising clients on, on how to help with that balance. Mm. As a slight aside from air filtration, the, the lab here also tests uh, domestic appliances. So we measure things like performance, the ability for the appliance to do what it's supposed to do, and also power usage, efficiency, and uh, things like emissions, for example, if, a, if there's a chance an appliance might emit ozone, and then we also check for that. Um, more recently, the lab here in the UK has been expanding into allergen removal testing. So that's become a quite a big thing recently. Not only you know testing whether we can remove particles and and dust and 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 common things like that from the air, but also the allergens that that carries with it. And also we're looking more recently into automotive cabin air filtration. So you know making sure that pollen filters or the the filtration systems in a in a car are doing the job that they're supposed to do. And um, now globally, so I've told you that's what we do in the UK. But globally, you know we also have capability for oil and fuel filtration. Uh, drinking water filtration, pretty much anything you can imagine it can be done across the, the global SGS filtration labs. Fascinating subject, um, Simon. I have to say, we've just started to attempt to engage in deeper conversations with the UK government. 
interestingly, we've been having more success talking to the shadow ministers than we have the main ministers. We have had responses on our questions around air filtration, but given the level of types of tests that you do at SGS, may I ask what level of involvement you've had so far with the UK government? Has there been any contact from the UK government and some of the experts, the science advisory group for emergencies that exists and has existed to support our country through COVID-19, have they reached out to you to establish what type of verification you can do within your lab? And not not directly, no. So so SGS globally, we, we do get involved in those sorts of conversations with governments all around the world. But in the UK, and from, a, from my point of view, what we focus on is the technical capabilities and the technical standards. So international standards from bodies like the IEC or ASTM or ISO, uh, all those guys you've heard of, you know, CEN, we we perform those test standards and are audited as such to those test standards. So we focus really primarily on the technical capabilities and the and the ability to generate useful test reports based on those test standards. What is then done with that information typically is down to the clients. We generally haven't really got involved with you know, government decision makers and stuff. But that's something that we would very much appreciate a chance to to help you guys out with, for sure. Well, I will be making sure, uh, Simon, that the appropriate members of the government that we've been liaising with and the shadow ministers are aware of the expertise that your organisation has got, because I, I think that there is a lot of kind of subjectivity around the subject of air filtration. And as you know, ABTA stands yep. for Integrity and Increasing Indoor Air Quality Literacy. So what I'm going to try and do now, if I may, Simon, is is try and pick on a few specific examples. And when I say examples, I'm thinking about the types of testing that you might do at Milton Keynes. So we all know here in the United Kingdom, we have got an issue with particulate matter 2.5 in particular. Right. Various research studies have suggested that over 8,000, which is more than 25% of UK schools, have particulate matter above the World Health Organization recommended safe level of 10. In terms of setting up a test in the Milton Keynes lab to check how efficient a particular brand of air filtration unit was at plucking out that type of particle and other sizes of particles, I might add that there's also 10 and 1, PM 2.5, yes. 10 and 1. What, how would you structure a lab test like that? Walk us through what that would involve. Okay, so I think the, the first place to start is what do those numbers mean, right? So let's start there. So when we're talking about PM 1, Literally, that stands for particulate matter of one micron in diameter and below. So the number after those letters is the size of the particle they're interested in, in microns, and anything smaller than that, essentially. So when we're talking about PM1, it's one micron and below. When it's PM2.5, it's two and a half microns and below. And when we're talking about PM10, it's 10 microns and below. Now, to give you an, an idea of what that means in terms of sizes, all of those numbers I've just discussed are, are smaller than the width you know, of a human hair. So we're talking stuff that you can't see. It's very, very small. Now, to give you some realistic examples, PM10 is around about the same size as, let's say, things like uh, pollen, for example. So that's why they're interested, because it can cause allergic reactions. And it's, it's, these are all things that are respirable. Uh, PM 2.5 is typical of things like road dust and PM 1 and below uh, things like cigarette smoke would give you particle sizes in, in that sort of range. So, so 
the convenient thing is that we we test here to a air purification standard called AHAM AC1. Now, AHAM stands for the Association of Home Appliance Manufacturers. These guys are based in the US, and the AC1 standard describes a method for measuring performance of portable household electric room air cleaners specifically. Yeah. So this is really appropriate for what we're talking about, right? And what, what essentially that involves is uh, placing an air cleaner into a room of a known volume, in this case, uh, 30 meters cubed, um, under controlled conditions. So we control the humidity, we control the temperature, and we challenge it with those contaminants that I just spoke about, pollen, smoke, dust, because those cover us in terms of the PM numbers that we're interested in. So our lab uh, here, we have a, a room that's dedicated to that test. But, you know, all of the surfaces in the room are cleaned down and treated with anti-static treatment before the tests. Um, everything's cleaned and ensured that it's leak-free. So we can very tightly control the conditions in the room, including the environmental conditions. And we clean the, clean the, the air in the room so that the, any air in any room is going to have dust floating around in it. But we clean that down using our air handling system, which is essentially a very large HEPA filter placed in a, in a duct outside of the room where all the air is circulated through until it's clean. And by clean, I mean very clean. Uh, to put numbers on that, we're talking less than 0.03 particles per cubic centimeter. We get the room very clean. And the whole point of that is we don't want anything in there that can affect the test other than what we put in there and we want to control everything. And we use some pretty sophisticated particle counting instruments to, to ensure that that level of cleanliness is reached. We have a, a few different types here from you know, um, optical particle counters to aerodynamic particle sizes. They do the same thing, but in a different way. Um, optical particle counters are great for spherical particles, but aerodynamic particle sizes are better for one for things that are a bit, you know, less less regularly shaped. Like dust, for example, is not always a it's not a circle, right? So, so what we do then is we we take that very very clean room and we inject a known quantity of the challenges that we just spoke about: uh, cigarette smoke, dust, or pollen. And then we, we control that specifically and we use the particle counter to tell us exactly how much is in the room. And then we leave it and we monitor it just to see, you know, what the natural removal of these particles is from gravity or from sticking to the walls or for, for whatever other processes are going on in the room. And that becomes our background test. So we know this particle behaves in this way in this space. And then we clean it all down and we start again, but we put the air cleaner inside the room and we switch it on remotely from the outside. So we can then calculate the contribution to cleaning that's that's given just by the air cleaner. And what we do then is we can then calculate what we call a CADR, which is a clean air delivery rate for each of those uh, components. A lot, of, a lot of clients will state that CADR figure directly on the box, right? Mm. It's, a number, it's quantified and it means something. But what you can then do is take that CADR rating and you can then calculate the size of a of the room that's that that air cleaner is useful for or designed for and then you can state that on the box as well the good thing about testing with us is we're not rigid on we have to test in exactly this way we can we can take those tests that i've just described and say right let's specifically look just at pm10 or just at pm2.5 or just at pm1 and you know sometimes clients and it happens quite regularly they'll say hey we've We've got this new system. We've just designed it. We've, we've got a whole bunch of different filter types that we're not sure which is the best. Can you just do a single test on these different parts? And we, we can do that. You know, we can help with the R&D side of things. Or we can go right to the other end of the spectrum, which is, you know, clients have got a machine that they know how it works and they want it to certify it. So we do the full 
AHAM AC1 protocol, which is to take three test machines and test all three of them under those three different challenges to create a three by three matrix test report, which can then be sent off to AHAM itself. And they will then certify that product based on the test results from our lab. And we can do anything in between. So we have you know, specific test standards that we test to, but we're also very, very flexible in how we run these sort of tests. Whatever a client wants to see, really, we're happy to help. What you've said so far for me, Simon, has drawn three questions that I'm curious about. <laughs> Firstly, the size of the room, let's yeah. call it a room, it's a lab, I know, but it's yeah. obviously obvious the place where you do the testing is of a certain size. That's right. What What is that size? So it's 30 meters cubed. cubed. <laughs> we'll figure that one out, don't worry. We'll yeah, it's, it's, it's specified by the standard, right? And Let me have a quick look on my laptop. That'll tell me. Uh, according to this calculator here, 30 meters cubed would equate to approximately give or take a few inches, twelve a room 12 meters long, 12 meters wide and about seven and a half foot high. So there's our answer. There's also IEC standards that are that are in the works for doing the same sort of testing because of the, the history with Airham and that a lot of labs are set up with this room size already. Then it looks like we're gonna they're gonna settle on a similar size room as well. So we should we'll be able to run those tests once they're once they're um, out in the market. What I would say though is, is that there are other standards, other similar standards that that are for testing, you know, uh, industrial and commercial air purifiers that are used much larger rooms, but there are also smaller ones for for ones that are used in. I think what drove the question is it'll become yeah. apparent later on Simon, when I start talking about. COVID-19 tests and some of the organizations that claim to have had a COVID-19 test done. Sure. My research, when I've looked into them, suggests that the space in which it's been done is a relatively tiny test chamber. Um, so yeah. I wanted to try, I wanted to try and help our listeners understand that if testing is being done in a space that's not far off equivalent to a real room versus a tiny little glass perspex chamber. Yeah, and and what we always what we always say to our clients is that we can test particles that are of the same size, right? So we know a we know a COVID nineteen particles is around about hundred nanometers. Worst case scenario, which is point point one microns, so it would be PM zero point one. We can test down to that size. In fact, we can go down to one tenth of that size. We can go right down to ten nanometers. But we'd be using a surrogate, right? Like something like a, a KCL, a salt aerosol, or or even cigarette smoke will go down that small. Uh, we don't handle live viruses in giant rooms that people go into for, for obvious reasons, as you can imagine. Well, to be reckless, wouldn't it, Simon? Let's face it. <laughs> Quite frankly, yeah. And then, you know, how do you, when you put them through this process, how do you know you've, you've kept them alive? It's difficult to speciate for them. So so we would always suggest that, you know, if you take a, a physical particle of a similar size and, you know, with, within a bell curve either, either side of that size, and you're able to remove that, then there's a good chance you're able to remove COVID-19 or coronavirus particle. On top of that as well is, is the fact that coronavirus tends not to just be out on its own floating around, it tends to be in a in some sort of droplet, some sort of water droplet, which would almost inevitably be much larger than those sizes. I think you could say with some confidence, you know, at least from a physics point of view, that if you're able to remove the correct particle size, then you're able to remove it. We don't speciate for it at all. And uh, I would, I would just add that just from my personal research, when I've when I've been asked similar questions before by clients, where they've you know they pointed me in the direction of a of a competitor of theirs that claims to have done tests 
I've, I have yet to see one that's been done to any sort of international standard. It's generally done in a in some sort of academic environment, uh, which is not to say that it's not a good test. I'm absolutely not saying that. I'm just saying that for, for a company like SGS to make claims along those sort of lines would be looking to to only really use tests with an international standard behind them that had been peer reviewed. I just want, because I think this is going to be really important for some of the people listening to this, because the question that's burning in their heads, Simon, <laughs> is can an air filtration machine remove viruses, let's say, from the air? And what, for integrity reasons, you and I are not saying, we're not sweepingly saying that every air filtration machine can do that, which is one of the reasons why they need to come to SDS to get the machine tested. Absolutely. But what I think we are clearly saying, Simon, I think what we are clearly saying is that the coronavirus or COVID-19, the particle, let's call it, yep. is rarely going to exist in the air on its own because it's being breathed out by a human being that's got, let's call, respiratory aerosol. So exactly. we've got tiny amounts of moisture wrapped around the virus. And I think what you're saying, if I've interpreted it correctly, is that you can do a test that can determine how effective an air filtration machine is at pulling, let's call it that water particle out of the air or that moisture particle out of the air. And what I think we're saying is that in many instances, it would be fair to say that where COVID-19 is breathed into the air, it's going to be in uh, a water-wrapped particle, for want of a better term. And yeah. some air filtration machines that you have tested have proven able to take that size of water particle from the air. Am I paraphrasing this in an accurate way? Is that fair in broad strokes is a fair statement yeah and what i would what i would add to that is that you know even in the worst case scenario of a, of a free floating coronavirus particle let's let's call it a particle because that's what we deal in here it's 100 nanometers in size and we we regularly test um air purifiers down to that size using cigarette smoke and they are more than capable of removing particles of that size generally uh, it's really interesting, Simon, because some of the organisations that we have spoken to about air filtration, I'm referring now to hospitals, schools and universities, where I would add that the level of expertise about how to influence indoor air quality is tiny and often non-existent. Some of their questions are around, can an air filtration machine actually remove this type of particle from the air and i appreciate the point i'm going to make to you now is not something that you can overly comment on because it's a, a study that was done at adenbrook hospital in cambridge on a, a live covid ward where they used some sort of aerosol analyzer to detect that covid really was in the air and we won't mention the the brand of air filtration machine that was used that would be wrong but in that study during the time the air filtration machine was turned on they didn't detect COVID-19 in the air again. But when they turned the machines off, using the same aerosol analyzer, they detected it again. So for people that are listening to this thinking that air filtration cannot be effective at removing particles and viruses, I think subject to the machine and it being tested by a company like SGS, would it be fair to say, Simon, that in your experience, and I'm not going to ask you to name any machines because, again, that wouldn't be right, but in your experience, are you measuring machines that are proving to be incredibly effective at removing particles from the air? Absolutely. Bear in mind that everything I say here comes with the caveat that all we test is particles. We generate and measure particles, yeah. uh, be they dust, cigarette smoke, or, or pollen or whatever 
KCL, salt, whatever we decide to use, they're not viruses, but they do have the same physical size. Yeah. And in terms of removal of particles of the physical size in the same region as, as viruses and, and the things we've just discussed, absolutely. Absolutely, there are things on the market that can remove particles of that size very efficiently. If I'm a, an estate strategy director at a university, let's say, and I want to make a decision around choosing a certain brand of air filtration machine, what should I be really looking for, Simon, in terms of the paperwork, the accreditations? What coding, what international standards should I be looking at from a lab test that the likes of SGS have done to tell me what that machine's capable of doing in terms of particle removal? The most common one that we test to is the one I, I mentioned earlier, the, the AHAM. And, you know, they have a mark, an AHAM verified mark. And they have a, also a list on their website of, of all of the suppliers and models that have been through their testing process, their validation process. So they're very, very easily identified. And uh, now a lot of people will, will state, uh, a lot of suppliers will state CADR ratings on their box. That's a good sign because it means that they've done something and they've then they've quantified, you know, a clean air delivery rate. But what I would say is, is without some independent either test report to back that, or even better, some sort of mark, then obviously you've, you've got to be careful. You've got to be cautious if that information is not available. Yeah, I think it's fair to say, Simon, our observations of the, the brands and the types of products that are in the UK and are flooding into the UK in some senses, there, there are lots of, let's call them unbranded machines that can be bought on the likes of Amazon and eBay and, and various other marketplaces that don't have a brand first and foremost and don't refer to... Or, or contain anything to verify the claims they make, such as the common one is a HEPA 13 filter removes 99.97% of particulate matter of a certain size from the air. But I think it would be fair to say, wouldn't it, that if you were buying a machine like that, you'd want to see and be able to audit a certificate to check that that test had been done. Absolutely. And, and there's even a word of caution you could place on that. If someone's saying, hey, I'm using a, a H13 HEPA filter inside my unit, what if they are? And they've tested it and the filter's great, but there's hardly any airflow through the through the unit, then you may as well not have it, right? Or it's it's contributing very little to actual clean air delivery rate. So it's it goes back to my my point earlier about having a combination between those two factors. There's no point having an incredibly good filter if you're not driving enough air through it to be able to actually clean down the room that it's in. So the so power you, of the fans, Simon, what you're saying there, the power of the fans and their ability to draw air through that filter is as as important as the filter in reality absolutely and you could get a you could get a, a filter that passes a test in a in a filtration test which which we do all the time in our labs you know it's a, it's a closed system where you put a filter into a into a test rig and you pass air through it at a known rate and all of those variables are controlled but if you then take that filter which passes that test and gives you a great store a great score on filtration efficiency, if you then put it into a machine that hardly passes any air through it, well, it's not much use. Given the work that you do, Simon, yeah, what is your position on the difference between clean air that's delivered by an air filtration unit versus what the likes of SAGE is saying, Science Advisory Group for Emergencies, about the importance of opening windows? And I'm going to caveat that by saying, how do we reconcile that when in one breath we're saying that we've got a particulate matter 2.5 issue, which derives from outside, let's be, let's yep. be fair, comes from yep. outside. And so the advisors to our government are saying in schools, 
and in office buildings open the window, I think it would be reasonable to say that the layperson might say, well, I had this point actually made to me last week by the clerk at a town hall who was saying, surely opening the windows is actually not a good thing on two levels. One, you're saying there's lots of PM 2.5 in the air. And two, the government is encouraging us to be energy efficient. (laughs) and uh, open windows creates higher heating bills. But can and would it be fair for someone to describe the clean air created by an air filtration unit as comparable to the alternative flow of air coming in from outside? How do do people make sense of this? Because it it does seem to be a bit of a contradiction, Simon, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And what I would say is that uh, if you get the right air cleaner with the right sort of sizing and capability, then it's, we're talking orders of magnitude in terms of reduction of particles of almost any size, right, in, in an enclosed space, especially. I, uh, now, I'll just add another point to the one you made there, David, which is, is very pertinent to me because my wife suffers from it. I tell her to open the window after I've just cut the grass, she's going to get hair fever immediately. Um, so we have an air purifier in the house, and it, um, yeah, it does wonders. It removes all of the hair fever causing pollen from the air and although I don't have a particle counter at home so I can't tell you exactly how no, I was, I was I'm, glad you mentioned, I'm glad you mentioned that I'm glad you mentioned that Simon because again coming around to the test so, so some air filtration units appear to be very sophisticated in that they've got a level of air quality monitoring built in I mean I'm thinking of one particular model now which I won't name for for reasons of integrity but this particular machine has got PM 2.5 1 and 10 built in are you ever asked to do a test on the accuracy of <laughs> the monitor versus your your device? What would be the difference, would you say, between your type of particulate matter sensor versus one that might be built into an air filtration machine? I think, I think you may well have just given me some homework to do there, David, because it's not something I've done before. I mean, we deal with incredibly sophisticated particle counters, right? And they do different jobs for, for different contaminants and they do them very well. So so what we quantify here is it is exactly what it is. I'm struggling to answer this question without, without sounding negative towards having uh, some sort of counter or way of quantifying PM 1, 2.5 and 10 in your home, because I do think it's a good idea, but I just would put the caveat and the caution on there that there's absolutely no way they could sell the unit for the price that they sell these things are. That's what I was going to come on to, Simon. So, you know, <laughs> the type of sensor that you use, the equipment you use, I mean, are you running into tens of thousands of pounds worth of cost just for that piece of equipment? Comfortably, yeah. <laughs> wow, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but these, you know, they have specific optical path lengths and then T-shaped apertures and a lot of technical stuff that I'll, that I'll not get into in this, in this podcast. Maybe we can do a... You can do a session. You can do a follow up yeah. because, yeah, the whole Yeah, but you know, they deliberately quality. shape the apertures so they can compensate for, hey, was that a large particle or was that two small ones? They can compensate for all of that, right? And um, these these basic things, um, yeah, okay, they, they probably work on the same physical principle, which is that something's got in the way of, of, of a piece of light that's been shone through the sensor. Now, hey, I've, I've counted something there. I question whether they know what size that was and how many there were. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess we're referring to an non-dispersive infrared type technology, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Which so, is, um, I mean, the word the word out there, Simon, and we will follow this up. I think people listening to this are, are going to want to to hear about this, and yeah. so we can we can do the research and, and follow up with you. But there is a big demand out there right now for air quality monitoring, indoor air quality monitoring 
yes. a huge demand, but there is a huge demand from companies who want to, to feel that it's going to be done with some level of accuracy because the feedback that we've had, and actually we've tested ourselves, is that if you took the identical air quality monitor and you put it three feet apart in the same room and you had five of them, then all of them would give you different readings. And for the average person, the average facilities manager or person responsible for HR in an office, you can understand them being quite confused about that and, and wondering what the degree of accuracy and the variance is. Absolutely. It's a very, it's a very complicated science, that one, and you need to understand uh, you know, flow and aerodynamics in a, in a room or in any given closed or open space. Uh, what I would say is that we, we hear it in the filtration group at SGS work very closely with, with the air monitoring people for SGS, uh, there's there's SGS Galson in the US, and this is what they do, right? This is their bread and butter as they go into hospitals, schools, wherever, and, and do the air monitoring side of it. And then we work together closely with them to present the solutions for the problems that they find in places. And there's also a, one of our affiliates in, in SGS Germany that does the exact same job. So we have a good global footprint for that as well. And and it's a very, it's very complicated very complex and it's very data heavy and these guys it's what they do and they they're able to not only record that data live they're able to then manipulate it and, and use it to to drive to drive real solutions for real life situations all the building experts and the epidemiologists out there now that are all contributing to science magazine and the british medical journal they're all saying that there needs to be a paradigm shift in the way that buildings are designed and ventilated, Simon. So uh, I can see that we are going to find ourselves on a real path of change, both in terms of the way new buildings are built, but also what we can install into existing buildings to make those environments safe for people. I would say that the genie's out of the bottle, David. People are so much more aware now of not only air pollution, but because of the, the recent pandemic that we've all been through, people are aware that just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. And that includes air pollution, it includes viruses, and it includes all sorts of, you know, the PM1s, 2.5s, 10s, all the stuff that we're breathing in, we don't see it, but our lungs do. Just because our eyes don't, our lungs do. And it's important. And I'm very happy to be part of the team or the, the people who are making making awareness of this because it's very important. Yeah, one of our number one priorities at Abtisam, as you know, is to is to increase indoor air quality literacy. So just taking part in, the, in this podcast with you now and future ones is, is literally all about that. I'm going to ask you a, probably a penultimate question, Simon. It's about placement of standalone air filtration machines. And then I'm going to ask you finally about the different air filtration technologies that exist just to sort of plant that seed in your mind. But in terms of another common question that we get asked from hospitals, university schools is they've got to find room for this air filtration machine. I have to say that it's particularly challenging in classrooms. In my experience, we've been involved in running a pilot for three schools and I visited two out of the three. And I have to say to you that there's not a lot of space to stand a standalone yeah. air filtration machine uh, in the classrooms that I've been in. But when we're thinking about the best place to put a machine for optimum performance, Simon, yeah. is there a test that you do that could help with that? Absolutely. So the, the the test standard that I referred to earlier is very strict on where you place these machines. But we have done custom tests for clients in the past where we've placed, you know, in corners of rooms, at edges of rooms, and we've quantified 
you know, in different positions in the room, what effect that has on the on the contaminant, and also visually in terms of you know dust deposition on the surfaces around the around the room, and it is important. But essentially, it depends on the machine you've got, and, it, and by that I mean where where's the air intake. If you've got the air intakes on the back and you push the back of it against a the wall, then you've you've rendered it almost useless. And also, where is the air outlet? So it very much depends on the machine. But we can. We are more than capable of, of taking any machine and placing it anywhere within the test room and monitoring the, the particle counts at various positions in the room and, and setting up a custom test for that. But it's, it can't be understated, right? And you're right to raise the question. Because if you, like I say, if you, if you position a machine in where the inlet or the outlet is blocked or it's pointing into a part of the room that's not occupied, you know, eventually it'll get round and it'll, it'll purify the air in the room if the room is static. But they, re they really are optimum positions for for different machines, depending on the. And that is absolutely a piece of work, Simon. That I'd like to encourage APTA members to take forward with you for them to all have the machines tested in that way. Because I think it's I don't sense that anybody out there that and there are lots of very credible companies out there that are, are selling air filtration machines and they're doing it well. You know, they're thinking about it. They're taking room measurements. They're looking at clean air delivery ratios. Yeah. I don't sense in the substance the answers that people are giving to me that there is too much behind where they say you should place a machine. How many air purifiers have you seen in the middle of a real room, right? Right slap bang in the middle like the testing's done? Never. So it's important to ask that well, question. Yeah, I mean, we visited a hospital with eight small treatment rooms and to provide some thoughts to them. And I have to say, Simon, there wasn't anywhere within those tiny little rooms that that machine could have gone where it wouldn't have been a trip hazard. The only place for them would have been either some type of ceiling-mounted device or a wall-mounted device, and you make very good points about that. Just coming back to this from a, some, from a practical point of view, though, again, thinking about a virus-laden room, yeah. and you've got air filtration. Let's say you've got two machines, one either side. Again, the, the types of questions that we get asked is, well, is that machine not pulling infected air past me on its way to the machine? <laughs> I mean, it's a valid question, right? And and yeah, you're encouraging the air to mix. You're encouraging the air to to move around the room, which is going to do naturally anyway. I mean, it's a gas we're talking about, not a liquid, and it will. You know, any gas will fill the, the space that it's in and, and mix homogeneously eventually anyway. My counter argument to that would be if it's pulling it past you quickly and then cleaning it, that's better than letting it build up in the room for sure. Yeah, absolutely. completely. If you've got a room with no... Uh, natural or mechanical ventilation and you've just got a cloud of virus and particles building in the air and all the people in the room are doing is breathing then that can never be a good thing can it absolutely final question for you then simon and i kind of give you permission to kind of <laughs> to push this question to a further podcast but based on some of the answers you've given today and the fact that you use hepa filtration in in your lab yeah it would seem to suggest that SGS and you believe in the potential of a of HEPA filter. There are some other devices on the market. I mean, so there are devices that don't have any HEPA filter in them whatsoever. Yeah. They just have a very powerful concealed ultraviolet light. Yeah. There are machines that use um, negative ion technology. There is a, another type of machine that uses an oxidization process, but contains that somehow in the machine and doesn't create lots of ozone in the air. Yes. In referring to those types of machines, Simon, 
has SGS done any testing? I'm not going to ask you to sort of tell me what the results are, but have you done testing on on those different types of machines without HEPA filters in them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, not not specifically in this lab, like I like I keep alluding to. We're mostly a a particle filtration lab here, but yeah. we do have a bacterial uh, filtration efficiency lab that we've just built over in the US, where they look at these sort of things, and um, we've looked at them here as well as in combination. You know, so so um, some air purifiers will have those things built in as well as the HEPA filter, which is why we have things like ozone monitors just to make sure that they're not generating something that they shouldn't be. So yeah, we we're aware of those technologies, but from my specific point of view, because we are almost exclusively a particle filtration lab, not no not exclusively. That's not fair to say. We do oils and 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 things like that as well. We have less knowledge of those technologies specifically here in this lab. Simon, I found that fascinating. And what I would love to do, continuing to work with SGS, who have become an ABTA member over the course of the next year, is that I'm sure we're going to have listeners who are going to have questions. And so what I'd like to do is to kind of reconvene at some point in the not-too-distant future and and give our members and some of our audience an opportunity to to table questions. Um, But also for you to continue to use the ABTA channel as a, a place to share the expertise of SGS as a company. Sounds good to me, David. Brilliant. Look forward to working together more. Sure. Well, it's been brilliant to speak to you and particularly enjoyable listening to that Northern Eastern accent. <laughs> yeah, you can take the you can take the guy out of uh out of the northeast, but you can't take the northeast out of the guy. <laughs> I was having a conference call recently. I've got to tell you this time as a parting shot. I was having a conference call recently with a guy and he said, Are you from the north? And I said, this is my Sunday best voice. How can you tell? He said, David, there's no disguising. And he got me within about 12 miles of where I'm from. So here's me thinking I've got quite a neutral accent. Um, It's all relative as well, isn't it? Uh, You're southern to me, David. (laughs) Now, listen, Dr. Simon Harkis of SGS, thank you for your time today. You're very welcome, my friend. Thank you and take care. Well, my thanks to Dr. Simon Harkis for agreeing to take part in that interview with the Air Purification Podcast. And what a fascinating insight that Dr. Hark has provided. And it's one that I'm sure will draw a lot of interest and perhaps many questions from people who are responsible for indoor air quality within the various buildings that exist around the United Kingdom. If you have any questions or subjects that you would like to hear covered on future ABTA podcasts or our micro videos, please drop me an email to david at the apta apta.co.uk that's david at the apta apta.co.uk and we'll be happy to look into your request on future editions of the apta podcast we plan to talk to other indoor air quality experts and people who are making and shaping the legislation here in the uk members of our government and the health and safety executive as well as gaining the opinions of the shadow cabinet from the labor party You've been listening to the Air Purification Trade Association podcast. I'm your host, David Lilly. Until next time, thank you for taking the time to listen. And if you found the content of this podcast useful, please give it a like and share it with someone that you think would get value from the subject. <laughs>